Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. It's a day for the ducks, I'll tell you that. If you have nowhere to go today, then you're lucky. Stay indoors. You're very welcome along to Thursday's edition of the programme. John Paul is on a couple of days off, so Bernie is sitting in today and tomorrow. So Bernie's taking your calls, 1850-333-103. We always love to hear from you. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. And of course, it is Thursday, so that means later on, Jane Pickett will answer your pet questions. So you can get pet questions into us throughout the day. You can always email the programme throughout the day as well to Patricia at c103.ie and actually I'll start with an email that I've received from Patricia, another Patricia, one of our listeners who says I'm 63 and I'm one of those people still waiting on a vaccine although I've registered now nearly four weeks ago. I know you've been talking about this recently on air though I didn't hear what your advice was to people. Any advice would be gratefully received. Really surprised to hear that somebody in their 60s well over four weeks ago or nearly four weeks ago that you haven't heard from them. You need, Patricia, you need to contact them. You need to ring 1850-24-1850. Tell them the date in which you registered. They'll they'll get you up on the system straight away. Normally what they do is for anyone who has been waiting longer than three weeks from registration, they'll flag it on the system. And what we have found has been happening, certainly for any of our listeners that we've advised them to do that, the majority got back on to say within 24, 48 hours, they had a text message and a date in which to get their their vaccine. So I would get on to them because there was a big push last weekend, last Saturday, last Sunday at the HSE contacted us Wednesday of last week to say that there were there was about 2,000 people from North and West Cork who were going to the city and these were people in mainly actually in that sort of 60, 61, 62, 63 age group, the lower 60s were being sent to the city to get vaccinations. Some went to Porky Cueve, some went to City Hall and I know some people were very annoyed about the fact that they had to drive past a vaccination centre in their area to get to the city 
others saw it as a day out headed up to the city and uh, as one person said to us I travelled to Belfast to get my vaccine so and the plan was that everybody they were hoping to have everybody in their 60s done by the close of the weekend now obviously there's going to be cases like Patricia our listener for whatever reason the system is not picking her up so Patricia give them a call and let us know how you get on but normally once you give them a call and they flag it on the system that here's somebody that hasn't been vaccinated they normally are good then to get uh, back to because certainly what we've been hearing from people of late they seem to be now getting through the people in their 50s the 50 to 59 year olds they seem to be going through that at a pace right across this week and only yesterday we were hearing from people who are getting calls for across this weekend I think from tomorrow onwards and into next week who are going to get the Johnson and Johnson vaccine which is the real game changer one because that's a one dose you only have to go once and uh, a lot of people were like the idea of just getting one shot one dose and I think is it within two weeks you are fully vaccinated certainly within a month you're fully vaccinated so there's a lot of people like the idea of getting the one shot dose and most people certainly who contacted us yesterday were saying that on their text message they were told they were getting the Janssen which is the Johnson and Johnson uh, shot. So Patricia give them a call and let us know please um, how you get on uh, with that and if people are heading out to vaccination centres today Hopefully there won't be any delays. I mean, I mentioned last Saturday the amount of delays that I had, but that was just one of those days that happened where their system seemed to have gone down. Most people tell me that when they go to vaccination centres, they park up. It's so well run. You're shown where to go. They're into the building. They're in and out and people in and out within half an hour, 45 minutes at tops. But every now and again, something will happen at the vaccination centre where there'll be delays that causes people to have to queue and I would not like to be queuing outside any building today with the weather that's in it. So all I will say to people when you go to any of these vaccination centres, go prepared just in case something happens and you may have to you know, stand for longer or that you're forced to stand outside. So, you know, have raincoats. I wouldn't say bring, a bre- bring an umbrella with you today because it isn't a day for brollies. You'd be hard pushed to keep any brolly up in that weather today. And the Indian variant, which is the one that a lot of people are worried about and a lot of people are worried about the Indian variant coming into this country and people are saying that's why lock down our borders, keep the mandatory hotel quarantines in place. People worried about the Indian variant which we know is quite common in areas of the of England in particular at the moment. People are worried about that and people are worried will the vaccines work with this Indian variant? Well reading in today's papers the Indian variant of COVID-19 may not spread as fast as was feared and also the really good news, the COVID-19 vaccines that are currently in use appear to provide protection against uh, the virus. And from Ireland's point of view, that will prompt hopes that next month's easing of lockdown can go ahead. The growing evidence around the variant which emerged in the UK yesterday now is being closely monitored, obviously, by our public health officials here because they are the ones who decide next week about further reopenings and the reopenings around the outdoor pubs and restaurants for outdoor dining. Uh, That's due to happen in June and then will we be able to move indoor in July? It's England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer, a gentleman by the name of John 
Jonathan Van Tam. He said uh, scientists were sure that the variant was more transmissible than the UK uh, strain. However, they do not know by how much, but a credible range is between a few percentage points more transmissible and 50% more transmissible. And most people now are starting to think that it's somewhere in the middle uh, rather than at the very much higher extreme. I mean, yesterday I was even reading a report that there was worries that it could be 60-70% more transmissible than the UK strain, which is the dominant strain in this country. But it's looking now like it's going to be at the more the uh, lower uh, end. And up to last Friday... In this country, there was 41 cases of the UK variant had been uh, detected. Now, the bulk of them had been picked up in the mandatory hotel quarantines, which means they're contained inside in the hotels. But unfortunately, a number of them had been passed around, had been picked up out in the in the community. And they are the ones, obviously, the people were most uh, worried about. Experts said yesterday, ventilation, we're back to ventilation. And we've spoken about ventilation, I think, since we first started speaking about COVID-19. But experts are now saying, and the evidence is there, that ventilation needs to be the core of public health messages and that it shouldn't be an add-on. And it has tended to be an add-on. You know, we've been told to do all the things like washing of the hands, the social uh, distancing, the wearing of the masks, and then try to be in a well-ventilated area. So it was always kind of the add-on to the main message. But Orla Hegarty, who is the Assistant Professor at the School of Architecture in UCD, she was speaking at an Oireachtas Health Committee yesterday, and they've all of the evidence now, and they understand a lot more now. And they're saying that at the moment, what they now understand is that the risk of transmission of the virus is predominantly indoors and very specific to certain buildings and certain indoor air conditions. The conditions are preventable and the knowledge is key to stopping infections and to opening buildings at low risk. She said most transmission is not from hands touching surfaces when we were all deep cleaning all areas in which we came in contact. But she said most transmission now and the evidence is there, it's from inhaling infected air. Masks are the only protection at close range. Outdoor, the virus is diluted because it is simply blown away. However, she said in buildings and in vehicles, if you're in a car with all the windows closed up, that's where the levels of the virus can build up. It can fill a space. She says there's evidence it can linger for hours. Then obviously if it is lingering for hours, it can infect more people. She said viral particles in the air behave like smoke and they must be cleared out and the only way of clearing them out is good ventilation. She said work on improving ventilation in key areas like schools, uh, childcare settings, nursing homes, pubs and restaurants when they're allowed uh, to open. She said that all has to be done this summer and you do that in preparation then for the high risks in autumn and in uh, winter. Um, we need. We should also be careful in relation she, to the rules on the wearing of masks and she doesn't want any sign of the removing of the wearing of masks and certainly that was something that's been happening in other countries when they're getting, you know, when, when their vaccines, when they're getting more of their vaccines done, they're kind of easing on restrictions. And one of the easing restrictions is you don't have to wear masks and in indoor settings. And she's saying now that she'd be very slow to actually relax that rule. But it is so important if you are in an indoor setting that you need to make sure that there's good ventilation, make sure that there's doors and that there is windows open. And that's why, and in fairness and effort, and all of our health experts from day one have always been saying when we were allowed to ease restrictions, 
restrictions and start meeting people, the safest place to meet people is to meet people outside. And more and more people have gone back to work. So we are putting more and more people in indoor settings. And a senior health official is warning that her team of contact tracers are seeing evidence of people returning to work while infectious and people going into work showing symptoms of COVID-19 but choosing to ignore it and she said that that is potentially leading to high risk transmission of the virus. She's a Dr Mannix and she's the Director of Public Health in the Midwest region and she said her team had seen the recent worrying trend emerge and this especially as people have started to return to the workplace in line with the phase reopen of society. She said we're seeing evidence of more people working for days while infectious or working for days, even though they admitted, you know, oh, well, I had the symptoms. I was coughing on Monday and Tuesday and I went to work and then on Wednesday I went for the test, but they would have been in work for the two days uh, previous. And she said because of that then, there's a significant number of staff who have to be identified as close uh, contacts. She said it's extremely high risk and she's urging businesses to facilitate workers to encourage safe practices when they're in the workplace. And she spoke about the resumption of retail and, you know, all of our shops are now open. And that means uh, employers need to increase their efforts to protect both their staff and indeed the customers that go into the shop. She's urging the public to be extra vigilant, to act responsibly in order to minimise the spread of COVID in the community, particularly as activities and services start to resume. And, you know, to be extra vigilant, but really the most important, I think, two words there is act responsibly. If you are feeling in any way, you like you have any of the symptoms, no matter how mild they are. And of course, we all have a tendency to say, oh, this is the thing I get every year. This is my annual sinus infection. This is my annual sore throat uh, infection. You know, we have a tendency to brush it off like that. She's saying we all need to act responsibly because you don't know who you are going to uh, pass it on to. The Health Authority has said it was investigating and monitoring more than 15 workplace situations and that involves more than 40 cases and then out of that another 50 people were deemed close contacts. Now the majority of where this particular, this Dr Mannix is public health in the Midwest, she's saying the majority of her cases are being linked to workplaces in Limerick but they were also, she identified workplaces in Clare and also in North uh, Tipperary. So please we all just still I know there is the rollout of the vaccine and that's going well but until we're all fully vaccinated we need to be very very careful 1850-333-103 Bernie is taking your call sitting in for John Paul you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. John and Bantry was on to say he's got called for his vaccine on Sunday. He's also getting the Johnson & Johnson. He's delighted as it's only the one shot. Best of luck, uh, John. And somebody else was on when they heard me read out the email from the listener from the other, from Patricia, who's 63 and hasn't been called and she's registered nearly four weeks ago. Uh, hi, listening to your listener there. I'm 64. I've rang the HSE six times. Still haven't got an appointment. Not one of them will give me a straight answer as to why I'm not being called. I would keep ringing them. It seems very strange that you're in that age group because we've been led to believe that the HSE are doing their best to get to all of the 60-year-olds, that the majority of them have been vaccinated. There's obviously some have not, judging by our, our listeners today, but I would suggest that you keep calling them until you do get your uh, vaccine. And then a caller in Ballinhasic was on, uh, the, the, he had to go for a test this morning. He said at the local GAA club, and 
I'm assuming that's in Ballinhasic. He said the staff, who were mostly women, are out in this awful weather this morning as he was going for a test. He didn't have to get out of the car, but they are out in the, and it's an atrocious day for us. He said, give a shout out to them, please. So we remember all of the testers who are out today continuing to test people. Tim in Mallow says, Patricia, I got the AstraZeneca jab two weeks ago. I forgot to ask him when the second jab is due. Would you know, please? Uh, they don't actually give you the date when you get your first jab with the AstraZeneca. It's about 12 weeks and you'll get another text message similar to the way you got the first text message. You'll get the same. When I got my Pfizer jab last, Sasha actually asked the girl, I said, is it about four weeks time? And she said, yeah, because with the Pfizer, it's four weeks and uh, she said you get a text message so you'll get a text uh, so don't worry about it a text will arrive 1850-333-103 Bernie's taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 Court today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862-103-103 Now fears have been expressed by some councillors in the North Cork area that increased freight traffic out of Rosslare due to Brexit could swing the argument argument against building the direct motorway, the M20, from Cork to Limerick, sharing their concerns. North Cork councillors Jared Murphy and Ian Doyle. Um, first, uh, no, Jared Murphy has gone. Uh, if we can get, if I can get um, Bernie to get Jared back on again, Ian Doyle hopefully is on this line. Good morning, Ian. Morning, Patricia. Morning. Uh, you're you're welcome to the program. We've lost Jared, but we'll, we'll get him back in a moment. Is there a lot of pressure coming from some sources to build the motorway from Waterford to Limerick with the connection at the M8 at Care? Well, Patricia, there obviously is, and you came up at the Northern meeting on, on on Monday, and just you know, I mean, just to clarify, I mean, and that's why it was the, the discussion was there is like there isn't, you know. There is pressure to do that, but there is only one route being considered at the minute. And that was launched, officially launched, two and a half years ago by the, the, the then Taoiseach, uh, Leo Vradkar. And I was present at that meeting, or at that launch in Limerick. So what I was saying was, that, you know, definitely there is pressure. But it isn't a question we shouldn't even be talking about. Well, we should be talking about it. But it isn't in the mix at the minute. There is only one M20 in the mix at the minute, and that is confirmed uh, between Limerick and Cork using the Charville crew Mallow Buttman route. Now, Councillor Jared Murphy, I'm, I'm, when he's on there again now, he's on the Southern Region Committee, committee and he has been saying all the time that, you know, this motorway, regardless of the route, once the motorway is, uh, is being, being defined, the, the motorway from Cork to Limerick has got to go ahead because there is considerable pressure from hauliers and from the general, you know, the general travelling public, but due to due to Brexit, number one, uh, that there is increased traffic now coming from Rosslair, and certainly, uh, you know, if we don't go ahead with the M20, uh, that route will certainly be looked at. No question. Okay, let me bring in Jared Murphy. And I'm told is yeah. is back on. Good morning, Jared. Jared, are you worried about this increased uh, pressure, which is swinging the argument uh, towards the motorway going? Um, out of Waterford rather than out of Cork? Just to put this in context, uh, Patricia, uh, originally, some years back, there was considerable pressure uh, from Limerick and uh, some Midlands areas uh, to divert the motorway uh, to the N24 onto Conmel, Waterford and Rosslea. Uh Leo Valka, uh, when he was Minister for Transport, decided that the, N20 was, the M20 was going to go ahead. 
But since then, they've changed it as a court since then, is that Rosslare as a port, because of Brexit, has increased its sailings by up to 300% uh, because they can get direct routes now to uh, several routes uh, in France. Particularly, there is a new Danish company uh, led by Aidan Coffey, who's managing director of the Irish side of it, uh, who is doing four sailings a week uh, from uh, Ross there to Dunkirk. Uh, that increases the importance uh, of Ross there from a national perspective because of the Brexit situation and avoiding the land bridge in England. In England. So uh, it gives people who are loving originally for the N24 to be the motorway uh, another opportunity to make their case. But the bigger point, and the, uh, from a national point of view, is that if the N20 doesn't go ahead, it would isolate entirely uh, without a motorway, North Cork, West Limerick, and Kerry. Uh, and uh, that would be a total disaster uh, for that corner of Ireland. Uh, there is some uh, good news in the sense that the whole transport system is being uh, looked at, and the junior minister, Hildegard Nocton, uh, uh, I understand is uh, talking to Irish Rail uh, about a direct rail line uh, from the west of Ireland uh, to us there to accommodate that situation. So that might ease some of the pressure. But isn't uh, there all also a cost implication when when you look at the two uh, the two projects, the M20 and the N24? There's a huge difference in the cost of the M20. I mean, some say two to three billion extra. You're, you're quite right. There is a substantial cost in the difference. But you must take into consideration by not doing the N20, you are cutting off for all intensive purposes North Cork, West Cork, all of Kerry and West Limerick. And there will be no motorway uh, running through that area. Uh, uh, and it was always the intention of the original transport plan that the uh, second and third city, Cork and Limerick, uh, would be joined. We must also bear in mind that Cockport are moving to Rediskiddy, and there should be a possibility of a direct shipping lines uh, from Rediskiddy uh, to some ports in France. Uh, that is it's that issue that has caused the situation to be raised at the moment because of the importance of us there. Uh, but Cork could equally be important when they have new uh, port facilities in Rediskiddy and hopefully uh, the same line that is now running from Rossdale to Dunkirk, Aidan uh, Coffey has some car connections, and he has told me that he would be interested in investigating uh, a, a run, for, a shipping run uh, from Rindiskini, uh to Dunkirk. Uh, so the M20 in that context would be extremely important as well. Okay, okay. And then, Ian, building the motorway, I mean, groups say it will lead to environmental damage. There's going to be huge upheaval to several rural communities. There's the possibility of uh, cutting farms, not just in two, in some cases in three. Do you have an understanding and a sympathy for those communities? (laughs) To, to, 
totally, totally, but uh, totally, and we, we brought that up at the meeting, Patricia, and, you know, I, I agree with Councillor Gerard Murphy, and uh, Gerard is at this a long time, that there's no question about it, that the, the, the final mix on the total national infrastructure has got to be the connection between Cork and Limerick uh, via Charles, Croom and Mallow. Now, Pauli Barrett has confirmed that the design team are, are in place, and by quarter three, that route, that route selection will be confirmed. I totally understand everybody's concern as regards the route selection then. But, you know, the emphasis, the emphasis on Monday was that the M20 would go ahead. The M20 would go ahead. The route selection then is another story. Um, I, for one, there are three options from a Charvel point of view. One is to the west of Charvel. Secondly is to the east of Charvel. And thirdly, is to look at the existing N20 and upgrade that to a motorway status uh, and then put in the link road for Mallow, which is already approved, mm. put in a link road for Butterbent and put in a link road for Charville. Now, there are the three options and, you know, nothing has been decided yet on that. And when, when, are, we dispe- when are we expecting final decision? At, at, at quarter three. At, quarter three. Uh, quarter, quarter three. Quarter okay, yeah. and then and what are the executive of the council when you discuss this um, at the meeting? What what are they telling you, Jared? Just hold your nerve. The motorway will go ahead. Is I mean, is that the message that came through from the executive? There has been absolutely no question from the very start yeah. that uh, Cork County Council and Cork City Council uh, have prioritised the N20 to become a motorway, uh, and. The fact that it connects uh, the second and the uh, third uh, largest cities in the country, and the fact that it serves the whole southwest of the country, uh, uh, the position of Cork County Council and the executive is very firmly uh, that the M- N20 must go ahead as a motorway. And it's fair to say a lot of money has already been spent. It is, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no question about it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Listen, thank you both uh, for that, uh, gentlemen. And uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is councillors uh, Jared Murphy and Ian Doyle. And a text in from Councillor Garold Murphy to say, Patricia, I was actually the councillor who brought up the M20 at the Northern Divisional meeting on Monday. The reason I brought it up was because there has been commentary in the media recently, particularly in a series of articles in the Irish Examiner newspaper, arguing that the M20 should be built via either Care or Mitchellstown. I agree with my colleagues discussing it with you this morning that we need to be vigilant against this as it will be a disaster for North Cork and the North West Cork region from a road safety perspective, from an economic development perspective and indeed from a tourism perspective. And that's a text from Councillor Gorod Murphy. Thank you for that, Gorod. 1850-333-103. Bernie, taking your calls uh, this morning if you want to uh, text us, you can, to 0862 103 A couple of texts uh, in Here's an interesting one from somebody who signs themselves an angry listener and it's on litter. I was parked in a roadway in West Cork the other day. A Cork County Council car, van, vehicle was parked up a little way ahead. I could see two guys sitting in the vehicle drinking from either cans or something similar. Lo and behold, they opened their car windows and chucked the cans out onto the pavement. 
These were council employees. And yes, by the way, before you ask, I did ring and I did complain. But God, what good will become of that? That is absolutely shocking. I hope you took the registration because if you got the registration of the van, they are the vehicle, they would know exactly who was driving it on a particular day. But that is absolutely shocking to think that council workers could have sat in an actual vehicle that's clearly marked with Cork County Council on it, have their whatever it was, their tea break, their 11s with their cans and just open it up and chuck it and, and chuck the cans out onto the page. Pavement for shame. 1850 3333103. Back in 1993 and that event is very much going to be remembered tomorrow with a visit to Mill Street Community School by the winner, Neave Kavanagh. The principal of the school, Paul O'Sheacon, uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, I'm, I'm, ver- I'm very well and you're, you're very welcome. You reached out to Neve Kavanagh. Did she jump at the chance to come back to Mill Street and spend some time at the school? Absolutely. She's, she's really looking forward to coming back. And it's, I suppose it's a project that, that grew legs over the past couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, she's delighted. She's, and I suppose, very open and accommodating to coming down to... Um, we're actually going to record a version of Einstein standing with her tomorrow for our transition year student. Yeah, now t- t- tell me about this. Tell me about the plan for, tom- uh, for tomorrow, this special recording that's planned. Yes, so um, I suppose it came about that we wanted to do something for the local community here. You know, we've we've had a lot of people in the school who've lost family members and other relations, both due to COVID and I suppose the current the current situation with COVID that we haven't been able to say goodbye to people that we've lost mm. in the way we normally would. So um, we were just looking at trying to give people some form of message of hope in the form of a song. So we we just threw it out to Neil that if she'd be interested in recording this with us, that's um, We'll give it a go. So here we are. <laughs> well done, well done. And it's the TY students. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we have um, we'll have nineteen singing with her now tomorrow, and uh, six musicians. So um, and the musicians yeah. are all class. Are they all in all part of TY as well? Yeah, well, yeah, four of them, and there'll be myself and one of the other teachers as well playing with them. So. But you're a you're a musical bunch in Mill Street, are you not? Oh, God, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and the, it's the Elton John song, is it? I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm still standing, yeah. yeah. So yeah. You, did you just toss around ideas of, of what song to sing? We did, you know, originally we, we had kind of earmarked the Jerusalem a challenge and that was the original plan that I said to Neil, look, would you fancy singing the chorus, Jerusalem a chorus for us? Um, she was delighted to do it. But then we kind of thought, look, the Gardaí have done it. Everyone is doing Jerusalem, so we yeah. do something a bit different. Yeah, and that's you know throwing ideas around about what kind of songs would fit. And the motto of our school is clarity is expected, which translates to bright days ahead. And we thought that song fits very nicely with that. Bright so. days ahead, yeah, yeah. And I'm still standing, and we're all glad that we're still uh, standing. And yeah. I, I just I I love the idea that it is to remember, you know, lives lost in, in the past uh, 15 months. There's something really touching about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been very hard 
for everybody. And as I said, we've, we've students in the school have been touched by that, and we've all been touched by it in one way or another. I think we all we've all known somebody over the last fourteen months who has passed on, and you know it just hasn't been the same at all. You know, even, even the way we we honour them and and what we would usually be doing in Ireland, the way we do it so well, we just haven't been able to do it. Yeah. And um, we've got huge support locally here from our community. Parents and students have bought into everything we've been doing to try and keep COVID out of the school over the last 14 months. And, you know, it's just a little bit of crack. Oh, raise the spirits a bit and say thanks to everybody for coming on board with us. Yeah, and then you'll have this recording for forevermore. Now, obviously, exactly, yeah. COVID is very much still with us. So how how will the setup work tomorrow for the recording? Yeah, so we're, we're actually using, we've, um, we've a huge marquee. It's a three-sided marquee actually down in our basketball court. So that'll be open tomorrow and we have the two-metre spacing. So what we're going to do is, a, it's actually going to be a 23-track a recording that we love professionally edited, okay. so we'll be able to keep the two meter distance um, with with regular breaks. We're not going to be in there for any length of time, but um, we'll have a professionally lit um, and professional team working with us to do the editing afterwards. Brilliant. So we're ho- hopeful that the weather will kind of cop itself out for the morning. <laughs> but do you know, do you know something? <laughs> when I, when I was thinking about you uh, doing it tomorrow, I just said, "By God, thank God that they went for Friday and not Thursday, because yeah. you wouldn't be recording anything in this weather, or it'd be a very windy song if if so nothing if nothing else." We'd have, we'd have plenty of takers locally. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sure you would. I'm sure, I'm sure you would. And actually, it's funny that our last live interview in studio that we did before we were not allowed to have anybody into the building uh, anymore was March of last year. And it was coincidentally Neve Kavanagh. She was the last person oh, that we had in live. She's, and she's fabulous. And we, and I remember last March of last year talking to her and she's got the most gorgeous memories of Mill Street and she just she's a real deep affection for the place and uh, locally uh, Paul I mean people still talk I mean it was 28 years ago last Saturday but people, right, yeah. people still talk about it don't they as if it was only a couple of years ago they do yeah and even here I suppose I was talking to our first years about this because the the marquee that we're using is their area so we've kind of taken over it um, yesterday doing a bit of practice and they were coming down and I was explaining to them what was happening and they all knew who Neve Kavanagh was. You know, these are only 12 and 13 year olds. Yeah, so yeah. The legacy lives on very much so. And I suppose look, we're, we're right next door to the Green Glens, as you know. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's we're all looking forward to the place is buzzing really in advance of tomorrow. So. And um, will you will you record it? Will you make a video of it or will you try? And... We will. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have we'll have three cameras here. And the hope is that once once the whole thing is edited properly, that we'll be able to we'll push it out on YouTube and release it locally here and as I said, just trying to lift the spirits a small bit. Well, let us know. We'd love to put it up on our uh, media sites here as well. Listen, the best of luck okay. uh, with it tomorrow. Will you be singing yourself, Paul? I sure I might. Will you? We'll see. <laughs> 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 they might need a bit of a bass in the background. We might. <laughs> well, look after the vocal courts and pass on our best regards to Neve uh, from all of us here at C103. Listen, you look Thanks after yourself. Much, Thanks yeah, a million. Thank bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, Paul O'Sheacon, who is the principal of Mill Street Community School, in advance of our own. And we call her our own because she won it in Mill Street. So she's very much one of our own. Uh, Neve Kavanagh on their visit tomorrow. And best of luck to everybody, to the 19 students in particular, the TY class. 
uh, there and we will look forward to seeing and hearing their version of I'm Still Standing. Oh, now a letter in this morning from Liz. Doesn't want her name called out. That's uh, fine. But she has given her name and uh, address. And she uh, she lives in Wexford, but she was obviously visiting Cork last weekend and says, Hi, Patricia. On Sunday night last, I was returning to Wexford from Cork and I was disgusted when I came to the local crossroads at Glenville, I could hardly pass a group of lads. I reckon there was about 20 cars parked and up to 20 young people all grouped together. None of them were wearing masks. There was no social distancing going on. And what I couldn't get over was some of them were as young as 13 or 14 year olds. No wonder the COVID is still there. When I got past, they started doing donuts on the road. Do parents wonder were 13 and 14 year olds are at all please don't read out my name enjoy your programme keep up the good uh, work so that's in the Glenville area a group of young lads out so our donuts do I take it from that that uh, really stupid thing of doing donuts in the middle of the road I and mean, it's usually in sort of very rural quieter roads where it's done but if you live in an area where you get young people doing that it's the noise from it is absolutely uh, dreadful I just I can never understand because usually these it's young guys and young girls get involved in it as well they're usually you know, motorheads they're big into their uh, cars I can't understand the waste of tyres because you, know, you, you see the marks on the road of the circles um, we hear about it every now and again. Is it is it back again in business or, or did it never go away? Are you living in an area where a lot of young people decide to get involved in what some, some people say is antisocial behaviour? Young people don't see it as that, but actually doing donuts. And I know that people will ring the Gardaí and the Gardaí do their best, but just as soon as the Gardaí get to the scene, they're long, they're long gone. It's very hard to track them down. I don't know if anyone has ever been uh, prosecuted for doing it or if anybody has ever been caught, uh, but certainly people do report. Thank you to that uh, one of our listeners listening to us in uh, Wexford this morning. Now, some of your calls into the programme this morning. John in Mallow is another one of the group in their 60s, hasn't been vaccinated yet. He is a, he's 61. He registered for the vaccine on the 26th of April. He has also phoned six times since last Thursday. Nothing is happening. They say that they're putting him on a fast track list, but he is still waiting. But his big concern is he is a full time carer looking after his mother and his doctor says he can't have. Now, your GP, anyone in the 60 to 69 age group, and I take it the same with the 50 to 59 group, it isn't the doctors that are administering the jab. So there's absolutely as much as the doctor might like to give you a jab. He, he actually can't. He gets an allocation of vaccines that he has to give to patients on the list that, that, that he submits. There, the GPs now, have, I'm assuming of all of their over 70s done, are they're certainly at the very least getting to the second jab for the over 70s and the GPs are also doing people in cohort 4 and cohort 7. All GPs are not doing it of course uh, but they're giving the vaccines but they're certainly not able or allowed to vaccinate the people between 60 and 69. As I keep saying John, I said to somebody earlier on keep ringing them, you will eventually get the appointment they're, they're doing their best they're doing their best and then of course on top of everything else the HSC are battling with the cyber attacks even though that hasn't affected we're told the rollout of the vaccination but there certainly are people in there 
their 60s who for some reason are falling through the cracks and I don't know why and I don't know if they're all in a particular area or not. Is it all in the North Cork area? A lot of the ones we've got this morning seem to be in the North Cork area. Maybe there's a lot of people in that age group that need vaccinating. I don't know but keep ringing. I would, if it was me I'd be ringing every day going it's me again. You know you've put me on the fast track list. Any idea on when I'm going to get an appointment and keep in contact and let us know uh, when and if you do get an appointment. And John in Donnerer just wants to warn people who are going to the Killarney Vaccination Centre and there certainly are people from the North Cork area who have been given an appointment for Killarney just to remind listeners and I know we did this last week as well that there are roadworks at Rathmore so if you are going back to Killarney for your vaccination you need to allow yourself extra time and don't even think of trying to go through Rathmore. I don't think you can. You have to divert don't you? Anyway, he went that way this morning. He's, he also says the detours are very badly signposted because of that it took him an extra 30 minutes to get there. He suggests people travelling from the North Cork area needing to get to Killarney, particularly if you're going for a vaccine and you need to arrive on time to go via Bally, go the Bally Desmond route or go the Mill Street Clondrohid route instead. So please make people aware of that. Anyone who gets a vaccination for Killarney and we know there are people in North Cork, avoid Rathmore completely and just allow yourself a little bit of uh, extra time. Also coming in on vaccines. Hi Patricia, listening to you about the COVID jabs. Well I live in Mill Street and I got my text to go to Mallow Vaccination Centre for my first it was the AstraZeneca jab the jabber the person giving the vaccine told me we'd be called back to the same place in 12 weeks time so I'm expecting to get a call back to Mallow which is great but my poor old next next door neighbour they got called to the vaccination centre in Tralee She's had her first jab and now we'll have to go back to Tralee again for her second jab. It seems a very long way to go. I will at least we're getting the vaccines now and they will text everyone uh, to let them know when they have to go back for their vaccine and they do, they do text in advance to tell you what type of vaccine you are getting. If people complain about the journey at times to the designated centre, uh, I would like to remind these people, just be grateful that you're getting the vaccine in the first place. Yeah, and as, didn't we have a lovely listener who contacted us from the from a mandatory hotel quarantine in quarantine she was quarantining in Perth in Australia. She actually she was due out last Monday, so she must be home now, thank God, back in, in Brisbane. But she was in quarantine and she was listening to people the previous week who'd been complaining about being asked to go from West Cork into the city and she actually sent us a lovely email and we contacted her and she joined us on the programme and she was making the same point just be thankful that you're getting the vaccine and almost use it as, as a day trip out. For so long we were caught within our five kilometre limit and we dreamt of going outside five kilometres. So if you are one of those people that have to go the extra couple of, the well not the couple, it's a good more than a couple of kilometres but sort of use it as a day out kind of pack a picnic or something and just to try and make a day trip of it more than anything you mentioned ventilation Patricia earlier on the programme says this West Cork listener what about all the new houses that have been built over the last number of years that are completely sealed they've triple glazed windows they have no chimneys surely a chimney in a house is the best form of ventilation that ever was in uh, vent, invented. I think everybody in the HSC will have to go back to the drawing board and come up with fresh ideas, says the West Coast listener. And you are right, we've been going towards that 
ceiling houses to keep the heat in and it's all about climate change and all of that but I'm assuming if you're living in one of those houses keep a window open is what I would suggest uh, doing and of course the ventilation only comes up if you're going to be in a room with other people outside of your bubble outside of your family members and if you're going to be in a room with people who are you're, you're not vaccinated they're not vaccinated so I mean if you're just living in your house you're okay if you're just with the, the people and you know everybody in your house or you're hoping everybody, nobody in your house has uh, COVID but yeah ventilation does seem to be the way to go. Trish, I suffer from asthma. I was wondering about mask wearing. I find it very difficult to wear a mask. There are times when I feel like I am a smothering. Do I still have to wear masks inside in shops? I find it very difficult, even for the shortest periods. That's from Catherine in Glamarga. My heart goes out to you. And you're not on your own. We've heard that from a number of people and people who suffer from COPD. I have noticed and quite a lot lately people wearing the visors I know they say the visors don't give the same protection but I certainly think it's better than wearing nothing and of course you can't get into a shop without wearing a face mask but most of the shops will allow you to wear a visor so maybe Catherine if you try and get one of the face visors and wear a mask where you can on short periods of time I know if you're in it's when I, I I, the most difficult one I find with wearing the mask is you know when you do the big shop and you go in there and I'm doing everything to try to make that big shop as short as possible you know by having my list with me I've even now taken to going around with a pencil I'm crossing things off the list because you know when you have a big long list and you're trying to keep going down through it did I get that did I get that so I have a little pencil with me now but I can still be an hour inside in the supermarket on the big shop once a week and I find that one with the mask is probably the most difficult so it's to try to limit the amount of time Catherine that you're wearing the mask but my heart goes out to you but if you're finding it that difficult to the point where you feel you're actually smothering I would suggest maybe buying investing in some of the visors that they will give you some protection they won't give you they won't give full protection Uh, Hi Patricia I know you've spoken about public toilets we have indeed we've spoken a lot I think since the pandemic came in about the lack of public uh, toilets well I was in Formoy yesterday now I suffer with bowel problems and so therefore I know every toilet in every town in every area in which I visit I went to use the public one in town to discover it was locked so I asked next door if anybody's in Formoy will know that the public toilet is beside the tourist office I popped into the tourist office and they said oh no sorry it closes half day on a Wednesday so the public toilet is closed I went to Lidl toilet closed went to Tossbrines closed Super Value closed so I ended up having to rush home I was afraid to chance coffee shops as they're only doing takeaways I, and I don't know our coffee shops that do takeaways are they allowing people to use their toilets or not it, acts, it actually puts me off going to town Oh, that's yeah, that's really that's a tough situation. And again, as you're not on your own, if you if you need to use a toilet and you suffer with any kind of a medical condition where you need to use a toilet, then you need to use a toilet. And I know councils, in fairness to them, and councillors are constantly raising it at council meetings. They're all trying to do their best to come up with solutions. It was only really during the lockdown that we saw how bad the situation was with public toilets. And for somebody like our listener there who's got bowel issues, therefore when they need to go, they need to go. It also causes problems with 
families with young children if you've got young children with you you know when a young child needs to go to the loo the young child needs to go to the loo so so I know the councillors are doing their best and hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later we will have hospitality reopened and of course when hospitality reopens you can go in and have your cup of coffee have your cup of tea and then be able to use the toilets at the same time but certainly you're not you're not on your own and my heart goes out uh, to you now we spoke about the M20 motorway yet again in the programme today Roy who is a H HGV driver says with regards to the M20 and the N24 that's the other motorway the one that would run from Waterford to Limerick instead and that whole debate that goes on Roy says this is Roy's opinion on it there will be no change on the volume of HGVs on the current N20 the Cork to Limerick route if the M24 goes ahead if they decide instead to do the Waterford to Limerick option and the reason for it is HGV drivers have to drive to tachograph regulations what does a tachograph regulation mean it limits the hours that they can drive every day if the Waterford Limerick option gets built then no HGV driver from Cork would use it uh, to go to Limerick or heading anywhere up the west of Ireland as it would put an extra 40 minutes onto their trip and uh, simply they wouldn't be able to do it and still get in the deliveries that they need to do. So that certainly would be another concern for people and another reason why HGV drivers are very much looking for the M20 to be built. 1850-333-103. Bernie is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. SCE Cork. They're looking for electrician slash charge hand. It's for commercial properties in the Cork area. Full and part-time van. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Drivers are wanted. That's for a multi-drop food delivery in Cork City. Now, it, it does come with early morning starts. Plaster and labourer wanted. That's full-time to work in the Canturk area. And a night porter is required for the Bantry Bay Hotel. You'll find all the details and many, many more jobs. Our job link has never been busier than it has been of late. You can find all the job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Paul Byrne is well known to us here in Cork as the Southern Correspondent for Virgin Media News. And last Saturday, May 15th, Paul celebrated 40 years working in media. We couldn't let an anniversary like that pass. Uh, so Paul Byrne joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Trish. How are you I'm, doing? I'm very well. And firstly, congratulations uh, to you. So is media all you've ever known for your entire working life? Um. It is, but I've also been involved in business, in a family business, for many, many years. Um, my late father was in auctioneering and also in entertainment uh, in the cabaret scene. He was a musician, a drummer. And um, so I was brought up in a world of entertainment and a world of business, which I adore, uh, both of them, to be quite honest with you. Uh, took an interest in entertainment from a very, very young age. So normally when you hear people say, oh, you know, I want to work in radio or I want to work in entertainment, most families say, would you go in and get a real job? That wasn't the case in your family. It wasn't really because uh, entertainment is in the blood. Um, No, I I did leave school at a very early age. I left school when I was 15 uh, before my junior cert. I I didn't have any exams. It took a lot for my parents to allow me to leave school. I just wasn't suited for school or school wasn't suited for me. We didn't see eye to eye. I mean, I I had, I remember I had a Timex digital watch and I'd look at it and I'd say, another minute gone, another minute gone, another minute gone. In school, I was just counting down the minutes every day to get out of school. I hated it. Um, I mean, if somebody came to me, my own son, if he came to me today to say, Dad, I want to leave school, I'd give him a kick in the backside. (laughs) Times, Trish, times were different then and I was very lucky that I was able to fall into a family business at a young age because I'd been brought up in it from honestly from the day I was born and I had a, I had a pillow to fall back on in the in the sense of a family business but in, and it was and times were different then yeah. you know that was like um BC before Coronation Street you know so um we're really really going back in time and, but you and you started in radio when you were just um 14 but was TV always the ultimate goal um, not at the time, to be honest with you. I, I didn't know much about television, uh, how it worked, other than just switching it on. Or I was the remote control at home. Go over there, turn that down, change onto RT2 or whatever the case would be, or to, you know, adjust the, the brightness. So uh, And then sit down and get up again and change the channels. But... Um, I was interested in radio. I took an interest in that after having a, attending a party from a friend of mine in school, at a, a house party. And then I said, I'm going to have a party. And then I started listening to the radio more and more. And um, I, funnily enough, ever before the party, for some reason, I would always rush home from school at lunchtime and listen to RTE Corkabout, which was on uh, a local radio station at the time. It was an RTE. It was a, they'd have an output. 
And um, I loved local, whatever it was. It just uh, intrigued me, local voices and local people. And um, I really started to develop a taste for radio. And I submitted a, ra- a demo tape to a radio station. Uh, your man had to listen to it. And he said, Grand, you can start next Saturday morning. And I tell you, I nearly died. Um, I, I said, geez, I'm actually after getting the job. And I, I, I started with 15 minutes a week in a, a pirate station called Cork City Local Radio, CCLR. Um, but I got a massive break in broadcasting six months later. The show was extended to 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there's nothing like that nerves of that very first time going on air. I think all of us can remember that. You'll never experience that type of nervousness again. It was a great cure for constipation. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> but no, it, it, yeah. I mean, but to this day, Trish, I mean, um, I, I would obviously, you know, you're going live. And if you're not, if there's not a sense of nervousness, you know, you've got to do this right. There's always that little tingle in your tummy. Mm, mm. Um, you know, I, I, I can't afford to fluff up. Uh, and when you fluff, people love it because they, they, mm. that's there. It's, it's, you know, you can record it and they'll show it over and over again on YouTube or whatever the case may be when you're live and these mistakes. But, um, you know, it, 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 it's the joys of it. it, it's, it, it but you know what it is? It, it's a drug. No two days are the same in this job. You get up, uh, you might go to bed uh, at night knowing that you have to go and do um, a court story in the morning, go to a jobs announcement and overnight all things may change. You know, you could get a call to say there's been a tragic accident, a tragic murder. Um, You just don't know what's going to happen from um, the next moment, you know, one moment to the next. And then the transition from radio to TV. Were you actually in hospital when you got the call for an audition for TV? That's right. Uh, I had applied for a job in Cork Multi-Channel Television, local television. I was had to, I was after having an accident. I had to discharge myself against the better judgment of the um, the doctors. They said you can't get out. I said if I don't go out, I miss an opportunity to land a job. And I, I discharged myself from CUH. I went in and did this audition in Multi-Channel and George's Key. Sat in the studio. Uh, they were recording my interview my odd my they were interview recording my interview with the person who was uh having a chat with me then they auditioned recorded the audition and i ended up getting a job in a cable shopping channel in multi-channel uh selling exercise bikes watches um glassware cutlery you know uh, furry dices for cars it was way ahead of its time when you think of it because cable shopping is a huge industry you know it's a 24-hour channel in the states and then from the shopping channel i went into presenting a music show from there i went into presenting uh, some type of magazine style program and then i was also doing a series of candid camera which was a, an ultimate dream of mine um i love candid camera i i you know the cnc cancelling and corcoran yeah i see i call myself cnc crime and comedy <laughs> and I'm in, i love both it's a strange word you know and and what a great training ground then for the next for for the real career move when you went to Virgin Media TV3 as it was. I mean, you've been there since the inception. So you're one of the few that have watched that TV station grow and become very successful. It must have been exciting to have been part of that, to watch a TV channel grow. Yeah, September 1998, that's uh, 23, 24 years ago at this stage. Um, I was there from day one. Um, People laughed at TV3 when it came on air. Uh, people laughed at Sky News when they came on air many, many years ago. And now people turn on Sky News for 
for the facts and the information. It's the first channel they go to in the UK. Um, here in Ireland, uh, Virgin Media News is a very credible source. Uh, back then, it was TV3. It gradually evolved. It became more and more um, credible. It was um, it developed, and um, I suppose Ireland were set in our ways, and you, you know you had the RT one, and that was it. You had RT two, and um, then along came TV three, and uh, people were slow. They're slow to adapt. I mean, you know, if a new radio station comes on the air t- tomorrow, you'll switch on and you say, oh, that's crap, you know, let me back to Patricia Messenger, there's nothing beats Patricia, you know, but eventually people start tuning in, more and more people take a, a liking to it, and it's really become a very credible source of information. Um, our ratings, you know, don't tell lies, the figures are there, they speak for themselves. Uh, the pandemic, we were one of the first uh, outlets that people would tune to for uh, for the information. And, you know, let's call a spade a spade, you're, you're part of the success of that for the stories you've covered and the stories you've broken uh, over the years so 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 credit due to you but you've remained in Cork did you ever get the draw to move to Dublin? I get homesick once I go beyond the Jack Lynch tunnel <laughs> it is frightening I'm a home bird oh my god um I couldn't work outside of Cork, honestly. I remember years ago in the Pirates, I went to work in radio in Waterford and a station, in a pirate radio station. I left home at nine o'clock that morning, did my stint in radio, and I was home having my tea at six o'clock that night. I said, no, never again. Forget it. Absolutely. Um, I'm just a homebird, and I love Cork. Cork, honestly, Trish, is I, I see it as a, a large village, um, it's beautiful, everything is so close, everybody knows one another, there's such a nice pace of life down here. You know yourself, you see it, Dublin is a rat race. Mm. Um, this is a wonderful city and a wonderful county, honestly, and as I said, if you want to get things done, you get them done quickly here, uh, everybody is willing to help. It's, it's a fantastic place, and I love what we do. I, I, I love and I thrive on human interest stories. Uh, the man and woman on the street, I, all right, I have an interest in politics, but I'd rather inter- in, interview Mr. and Mrs. Murphy uh, quicker than I would interview President of the United States, and that's that's been genuine. Yeah, I, love, I, I, I love people. Yeah, and I think I, I love the way here in Cork we all look out for each other, and and yeah. I I really I really love that. And when when I was prepping for uh, this interview, you know, I was thinking about all the different stories that you've done, and I mean, you've broken some really big stories, and you've covered the really big stories here here in Cork and here in in the South. But it always comes across to me, and you've touched on it there. It's the human interest stories are the ones that you enjoy the most and also some of them are some of them have been really heartbreaking have some of them been tough to cover Paul? Any story that involves a child is heartbreaking um, I mean you will remember um, a baby born in Mill Street years ago baby Jacob I do um, I remember getting a call from somebody to go down to Mill Street to meet the family who had, um, the baby Jacob had been born and he had been born without any eyes I'm very soft and I'm very soft more so when it comes to children and I remember going into the house because the family were trying to do a fundraiser to for surgery and what have you and I met the family and I was introduced to baby Jacob and I just broke down roaring crying there and then normally it happens when I leave the house but there and then and the family ended up putting their arms around me consoling me I went home that night uh, we had just um, had a baby ourselves and it was about four o'clock in the morning and Callum had woken up and I had to change his nappy at four in the morning. 
and I was looking at him and I looked and I saw baby Jacob and again I just lost it I was inconsolable it's heartbreaking to see children in pain and the amount of families who've come to me to say that <clears throat> their children can't get surgery a life-saving operation they're on a waiting list and they're being pushed around from pillar to post and they come to the media as a last resort and they don't want to go on TV or radio to say their child is in desperate need but it comes to the stage where they have to put their um, life on the line and bear all and within 24 to 48 hours nine times out of ten the HSE come back and say okay Mrs Murphy your son can have the operation on Monday week the power of the media but it's terrible that people have to do that they have to bear their they have to bear their souls I always think they're such brave people you know and a lot of it's very private what they have to share but they know to get the story out there that's what they have to do but that's where you that's where we all play a role in helping them yeah, as I said, it's the power of the media. It's a shame that people have to do that yeah. in this day and age. Yeah. Um, but look, that's the reality. The health service is failing the people of Ireland. And um, when people turn to the media for help, they do get results nine times out of ten. Yeah. Okay, you've broken some, you know, big, big stories over the years. And looking back on, on some of your highlights, the House of Horror stories story, uh, Paul, is one that I imagine will stay with you forever. Yeah, there was three men living in an address in Cork on, um, off um, the lower road. And there was a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs going on around this place. Um, the men were Patrick O'Driscoll from Cork, Kevin Ball, who was a New Age traveller from Wales, and then there was Cahill O'Brien, who was a volunteer at the Simon community. Now... Fred Flannery, who has since uh, died, uh, he died by suicide many, many years later. He, um, and I want to urge caution here, this comes with a health warning, I know this might sound gruesome, but he murdered the three men. And he was witnessed chopping up the body of Patrick O'Driscoll. And that body was taken to a field in Glanmire at the rear of Vienna Woods Hotel. And Flannery's nephew witnessed what happened and he started to talk and eventually he told the guards where the body was buried. The guards carried out a search. They didn't find the body and he said, no, you're not digging deep enough. You haven't gone far enough out into the fields. The guards said they were satisfied that nothing was there. I was working on the case, the search for the three men I was with 96FM at the time. I was working on the search around the clock, um, reporting on the, uh, on the ongoing search and the investigation. I got information that the body had been buried at the back of Vienna Woods. I went there one afternoon. I was actually out and about. Apparently, I was allegedly supposed to be doing traffic reports into the drive time show. I was in the middle of a wood with a man who gave me information that a body was buried here. I was saying to myself, what in the name of Jesus am I doing this guy is leading me through a woods to find a body. In fact, I could be the body in very, very shortly. I didn't know what I had gotten myself into. But eventually he pointed out, I went out into the middle of this field. I found an area of earth that had been disturbed. There was a, a kind of what I was described as a homemade crucifix, two pieces of wood, a bit of string and a white sock. And I picked up the clay and I smelt it and I reached. I actually vomited but a body of Patrick O'Driscoll had been buried there and Flannery had moved the body about 24 hours earlier. He was playing cat and mouse game with the cops 
Um, he was subsequently arrested and charged, went on trial. The trial collapsed. He was freed. Um, the judge put a permanent stay on the case where he could never be tried again. And two weeks later, <clears throat> uh, Patrick O'Driscoll's body turned up in a hold-all uh, in, a, in, a, in a shallow grave in Glenmire. Incredible. Such an incredible story. Mm-hmm. And you've also been reporting from the start of the, the Sophie Tuscan de Plantier uh, story. Will that murder, do you believe, ever be solved? No, certainly not. Unless somebody who carried out that horrific crime comes forward and said, I did it. But no, it won't. Um, and I know cases are solved 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years on, but I genuinely don't believe this will. Um, we were in a time when policing methods were a lot different, they were a lot more relaxed, people were allowed near crime scenes, a lot closer to crime scenes than they are now. It was also the 23rd of December, John Harbison, the state pathologist, was shopping in Dublin. He didn't come down until the following day. The body was left lying on the roadway with uh, covered with uh, plastic sheeting. Um, you know, there was evidence was destroyed very, very quickly. And um, whoever kills that uh, French lady will... Uh, will not be found, I don't think. And will take that secret with them to the grave? Yeah, unless, honestly, that they come come out on their deathbed and say, yeah. I did it. And uh, more recently then, the disappearance of uh, Tina Satchwell. I mean, that's a story that has really not just gripped us here in Cork, but that's really gripped the nation, hasn't it? Yes. And in fact, I think it made international headlines. Um People were just intrigued by the disappearance of Tina. You know, you, you see the photographs of her. She looked a very glamorous lady. Um, you know, Richard, her husband, gave me a, a number of interviews and he firmly believes to this day that she's alive and she'll return. Um, you know, I, I still walk down the street to this day and people said, you know, Paul, any news on Tina? And they don't say it like as a, in a joking way, but they're, they're honestly uh, interested and they want to see, um, get to the bottom of it. Um, it's a story that will haunt us, I think, for a, for a long, long, long time to come. I know a lot of people, a couple of months ago there, there was a, a, the remains of a, a lady were found um, on a, a, an old railway station in, outside Middleton in East Cork, an old rail line. Initially, it was thought that the remains could have been Tina, and, you know, obviously rumours and stories grew legs, but it turned out to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still the, it, it, it wasn't Tina. We still don't know who that person is. They're still trying to identify it. But... Um, the mystery of Tina will uh, continue. Okay, and hopefully, hopefully, one day will be solved. So, forty years in the game, no plans to hang up the microphone, Paul. No, certainly <laughs> not. As long as, as long as I'm sponsored by Complan and Horlicks, <laughs> I'll keep going. <laughs> Listen, it's it's a pleasure uh, talking to you, and and thank you over the years. You've always made great contributions to the program, and we really appreciate that. Uh, but listen, thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us today. And thank you, and I can thank you, JP, and yourself, Patricia, very, very much, and continued success to all of you down there. And can I just say one thing? I know that you've got Ken Tobin working with you there at the moment. Will you please, for God's sake, every time he leaves the station, check his pockets because he steals knives and forks and biscuits. That's why he was thrown. That's why he was thrown out of ninety-six FM. Except the maniac. <laughs> You're an awful man. You mind yourself, Paul. Stay safe. Uh- Happy Christmas. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's the wonderful Paul Byrne. Really enjoyed uh, my chat with Paul. Michael O'Sullivan and Castan Bear says, Patricia, hi to Paul Byrne. Massive congratulations to him on his 40 years of broadcasting with many, many more to come. He is a pure gentleman. Thanking you. And thank you. That's Michael and Castan Bear. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And we are heading to Bandon Garda Station for this week's Garda Fire, where I'm joined by Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, Morgan. Good morning. And, and you're welcome along. Now, let's start with some burglaries that you're looking for listeners' help with, starting with the first one in Skibbereen. That's correct, Patricia. Um, and this burglary took place on Thursday, the 6th of May, between the hours of 12pm and 3pm in the afternoon. Um, and it took place in the Market Street area of Skibbereen. Now, a sum of money um, was taken from this, which was a private house. Now, it was unoccupied at the time of the incident, and as well, it occurred in around lunchtime. So I suppose there possibly were a lot of people coming and going through the area at the time. And I suppose we'd be appealing if any of your listeners were in the Mark Street area of Skibreen um, on the date, which was the 6th of May, if they noticed any person, a car, um, anything suspicious or unusual, that the guardians Skibreen would appreciate a call. Yeah, particularly when it was during daylight um, hours and this was a cautionary message to be very careful about leaving any sums of money, big or small, inside Absolutely. in a house that, that is unattended. And then we move from Skibbereen to McCroom a couple of days later for another burglary. That's correct, uh, Patricia. Now, this burglary took place in the Massey area, which is McCroom Town. And this occurred later in the day than the previous one, between 6 p.m., on Wednesday evening, the 12th of May, and 8 a.m. on Thursday, the 13th. Um, again, this premise was unoccupied like the previous one, um, and the break-in was the house, which was under construction at the time, and taken from the house was a, a DeWalt skill saw. Now, this would be described as an industrial power tool, so it would be noticeable if someone was seen carrying it, especially late at night. So if anyone observed any activity on the night of the 12th of May into the 13th of May, if they have any information um, that might benefit the investigation guardie, we would ask them to contact the guardie at McCrew. And we always hate to hear about criminal damage, but criminal damage uh, to anything to do with saving a life is just beyond my comprehension. This time, criminal damage to in Skibbereen. That's correct, Patricia. This one is probably particularly disappointing in the it involves the criminal damage to a stand holding a life by. Um, and this incident happened in the Newbridge area of Skibreen between the dates of the 16th and 18th of May. Um, so I suppose in hiding, this incident is twofold it, in that the Guardian Skibreen are obviously anxious to solve the criminal damage element. Um, but also we want to raise awareness of the importance of life boys and all safety devices near sea or river locations. And I suppose especially now that we're heading to a time of the year when water activities will become more popular. Yeah, yeah, and, we, um, you, yeah and, and nobody knows. You you hope and pray that you'd never need to use a life boy, but you never know when you are a family member will need the use of a life boy. Absolutely. Any of us could find ourselves in a situation where we have to use it or we, we could, someone might use it to help us. And I thought it would have to be acknowledged that people in general are very respectful yeah. of water safety equipment. But when one incident of a life boy or similar object being interfered with, you know, one is too many. That's shocking. You know, and shocking. I was in, in this case, the lifeboat didn't open the water, but was subsequently retrieved by a member of the public. And I suppose in relation to the criminal damage element of it, the Guardian Skibreen would appreciate any information that okay. any member of the public has. Okay, home heating oil doesn't come cheap. Uh, so when it gets stolen, it can cause big problems uh, for people. You've got um, a, a case that happened in the area. Right, Patricia. No, it's something that happens from time to time, and we know so. And 
Well, we had one incident of um, theft of home heating oil reported recently in the Banagree area of McCroom. There has been a number of similar incidents reported to Gardaí across West Cork this year. And I suppose I would like to take the opportunity to remind your listeners to take preventative measures in relation to the security of their oil tanks. Um, now, a significant number of people do lock their oil tanks now, and it's most hardware stores now would store specific tank theft prevention locks, which obviously are deterrent to um, such crimes. Um, now, there's also other options, uh, such as specialised fencing, um, and also ensure if you have CCTV on your property that your oil tank is covered. Um, and I would advise people even to check online what security devices may suit their situation best, whether it be a domestic situation or commercial setting, um, just to increase the security of their, their oil tanks. OK, and just finally, I've certainly noticed, just even driving to work in the morning and driving home in the afternoon, that the roads are getting busier with society opening up and people back at work and we are heading into the summer months. I mean, West Cork, the roads will st- will be incredibly busy over the coming weeks and months with more people staycationing. Absolutely, Patricia. And just like yourself, we are seeing that as well over the roads. Um, I suppose with the country has now seen a relaxing of COVID restrictions and with the expectation, uh, maybe not today, but in the, in, as the summer goes on, of weather improving, you know, we will see a significant number of people that will be travelling across the country. And of course, like you say, West Cork will be no different. Um, and as we move further into the summer and we see the number of people using our roads increase, you know, this will include walkers, cyclists, and I suppose all forms of vehicles from motorbikes to camper vans. And so we would just appeal, you know, to, for everyone using our roads, be that the major road networks or, or minor lanes, to be mindful of their own safety and the safety of all other road users and to take, I suppose, whatever precautions are necessary, whether that's from pedestrians and cyclists wearing high-vis jackets um, while out on the roads, to drivers um, travelling on all roads, you know, to travel in an appropriate manner to the conditions. Like a day like today, we have a dull, wet day, you know, to drive with your light, your dipped headlights on, just to increase the safety. Um, and as always, we remind people, to, you know, to comply with all road traffic legislation, including legislation regarding speeding, and obviously never drive while under the influence of an intoxicant. And so, to, you know, the main give yourself the necessary time um, you need to travel to complete your journey safely. So I suppose, like, while we're on the roads, we should all be looking out for each other and looking after each other. Yeah, we have to share the roads with everyone. <laughs> they don't just belong to us and it might get frustrating if there's cyclists or if there's walkers. Uh, but, you know, it, how much extra time is it going to add on to your journey just to slow down and to make space? Just share the roads with everyone. OK, listen, uh, Morgan, thank you for that. Stay safe and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan, who is based at Bandingar, the station for this week's uh, Guard the File. We are taking a break. We'll be heading to the newsroom for News with Barry at 12 midday today. It is Thursday, so that means Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us uh, in the final hour of the programme. We'll take a look at a lot of your calls and comments coming in as well, and you can keep them coming. Bernie's taking the calls at 1850 333 103, and you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103-103. A number of people contacting uh, us saying how much that they enjoyed the interview I did in the last hour with Paul Byrne, the Virgin Media Southern correspondent and he's celebrating 40 years in uh, media. God, last November when I was selling 30 years, God, I'm only dropping behind it. <laughs> uh, but a lot of people saying that they enjoyed it and what a great uh, 
broadcaster Paul is, yeah. And uh, John in Skibbereen says, I remember Paul reporting on the Robert Houlihan story in Middleton a good few years ago. He was always brilliant. Yeah, that was another really, really tragic case. And it's just, it was the one thing that I, I made the point to Paul. It's those human interest stories. And as he said, anything to do with children, he's just a blubbering mess. Even now, 40 years, like he'd be a, a hack at this stage. And he still is so touched if he's to, if he has to deal with any stories to do with uh, children. And when he mentioned baby Jacob from Mill Street, the little boy who was born with, he wasn't just born blind, he was born without eyes. I remember that little boy uh, so well. And I know we got involved here on the from the radio station point of view in a lot of fundraising. There was a big day for baby Jacob held up in Mill Street. I remember actually attending that day uh, um, as well. Um, and it just got me to, th- to think, I don't know what is, where is little, he's not a baby anymore. By my calculation, he must be about 12. I remember his parents were originally from Poland, even though they'd been working in the Mill Street area for a couple of years at that stage when little Jacob was born. But are they still living in Mill Street? Is Jacob attending school in Mill Street or did the family go back to uh, Poland? If anyone can let us know, because I hadn't thought about that story until Paul mentioned it. And then another story that he mentioned that when he mentioned it, I was saying, goodness me, that's something I was going to talk about today on the programme. And that's the the case of Sophie Chuskondriplantia. And I spoke to Paul uh, about that because it's one of those stories that he certainly has been covering since the first day he would have been reporting uh, on it. And actually in the papers today, the makers of a new documentary series on the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Planty say they hope that they have made a series that its subjects, Sophie, would be satisfied uh, with. And this is the Netflix one. And they have given a date now when it will be available on Netflix. It's the 30th of June. It's called Sophie, A Murder in West Cork. And I say it'll stream on Netflix from June 30. And it examines one of Ireland's most infamous murders, which took place in December of 1996. It's a three-part series and this particular one by Netflix has been made with the blessing of the Duplantier family. The series was filmed in West Cork and in France and it contains contributions from Sophie's family including her son Pierre-Louise. It also has contributions from residents from Skull. Ian Bailey has taken part in it. Of course, Ian, who was found guilty by a French court of Sophie's murder, but Ian has always denied any role in her death, never charged in Ireland in relation to the uh, killing. And this particular one on Netflix is one of a number of documentaries being released about Sophie's murder, including the one for Sky, it's a five-part series. This is the one that's been directed by Jim Sheridan. Jim Sheridan's been working on this probably the last two years. And uh, it was due to get released because we had, we got on to Sky about it only was it last week because it was meant to be, was it the first Sunday in May we thought that the first episode was, was due to be shown and it wasn't. And we got onto Sky and they said it was due to scheduling issues. Uh, but they promised they would go back and let us know when the new date of it. So I don't know what's happening with that and I don't have, have a date on that. But that's, another, that's one that is also going to deal with the murder of Sophie Tuscundiplantier. And then there's also an upcoming television adaptation of the very popular West Cork podcast, which a lot of people would have listened to as well. But it looks like the first that's going to be released that people will be able to see on 
unless Sky get in before it is Murder in the West on Netflix available from June 30th 1850 can you keep your questions coming in please for Jane our resident vet she's going to be joining us after half past 12 today if you have a question for Jane get it into us now please you can either call Bernie on the 1850 number or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Now I want to bring a letter to you, handwritten letter that I received to the when I came off air, it arrived yesterday. And this is a similar letter to a letter I read out last week from another of our listeners, Lucy. And Lucy had contacted the programme because she had heard me mention about how adopted people will be able to access their birth certs irrespective of the wishes of the birth mother. It's under a new law to be introduced by the government. Now, in cases where the birth mother has registered her opposition to being contacted, the person seeking the birth cert then will attend a meeting where the wishes of the birth mother will be outlined and obviously then what will be also outlined is the need to respect the mother's uh, privacy rights. That will be emphasised prior to the information being released. But there will be no sanctions for anyone who decides against the wishes of the birth mother to contact uh, her. And that was a point that was made by Minister Roderick O'Gorman, who is introducing this uh, new law. And that has caused upset and worry to some women who over the years gave little babies up for adoption and in all cases I would say in all cases it wasn't something that they willingly did it was a very different Ireland in which we lived and to have a child outside of marriage or outside of wedlock which seems such an archaic statement doesn't it you had your baby out of wedlock it just seems like it's something that the younger generation today wouldn't even The term wouldn't even be used today. But it's caused genuine fear, I think, came across in the letter that Lucy wrote to us because she gave a child up for adoption in 1980, a boy who would now be a man of 40. And she's terrified of a knock on the door because she got on with her life. She got married and she has had children of her own. And her husband and her children know nothing about the baby that she gave up for adoption. So you can understand the fear factor uh, involved. And she wrote to us to ask us to read it, to read out the letter in the hope that she could put across two adult children, adopted adult children who are going forward to get their birth certs, that if the birth mother has specifically said, please don't contact me, to think about why there could be reasons why and not to contact the birth mother. But as I say, there are no sanctions against somebody contacting the birth mother against her wishes. Well, we've had another letter in. And before I read it out, following Lucy's letter, there was a couple of, there was lots of people. There was a huge outpouring of understanding for Lucy and a huge outpouring of love and support and uh, with a lot of people saying to her, sit down and talk to your children, sit down and talk to your husband and explain. It was something that happened before she'd ever met her husband. It was something obviously that happened before her children were born. But share with them, tell them what is going on. And she's no way of knowing whether her 40-year-old son is going to going to contact her or not. But lots of people were saying that uh, it's, it's a secret that shouldn't be a secret anymore. Uh, 
but that we had a one particular adopted person who was very upset by the tone of Lucy's letter and by the tone of some of the phrases that Lucy used. And, you know, I remember saying it last week when I read it out that I don't think in any way Lucy meant to upset anyone. So that's why I'm mentioning that again, because I'm fearful that the tone of this letter as well may just upset somebody who was adopted. So if you are if you are particularly the person who made contact with us last week, let me turn down the radio just for a couple of minutes because I don't want to upset anybody by it. But this letter has come in from Nell, one of our listeners that says, Patricia, listening to your great programme, uh, thank you, um, this week. I, like Lucy, had a child. For me, it was in the late 50s. At that time, we were never left kiss or hug our baby, just feed and weigh it and put it back into its cot. We were never allowed or left to bond with the little baby. And when we gave the baby up, our baby, we were told there would be no more contact with that child. Now the child is an adult and now we're hearing that that child can contact us. How fair is that? Now, I got over the parting, but it took a bit of time having nobody to tell as I had told no one about the pregnancy. And I still haven't. It's my and I'm going to change the word here because it was the word that most upset the adopted person last week. It was my awful secret. This is actually my first time in telling my story to anyone. I did request from two TDs to try to plead for the many birth mothers like me, but they didn't seem to heed me, the sinner. I already have given my details regarding health, etc. to the Adoption Society and I've also told them I don't want any contact. Thanking you, Patricia. And Nell signs it, Nell the Sinner. And when I read that yesterday when I came off air, I was just with such a heavy heart I saw that anyone would write Sinner after their name. And, And I hope that Nell is listening today because you're not a sinner. What happened to you back in the 50s? You became pregnant. That's all that happened. And what happened then at the end of nine months? You gave birth to a precious little life. You were not in a position, obviously, to be able to raise that child. And then what did you do? You did the most selfless thing I think that any human being can do. You gave the gift of that life. You gave that little baby to a family who for perhaps couldn't have any children of their own, maybe somebody who had battled for many years to try to carry their own child and couldn't and instead went down the route of adoption because they had so much love to give and they wanted to adopt a little baby. And that's what you did. It's a very precious, wonderful thing that you did. And it must have been so difficult for you to have not been able to have shared that with anyone to have gotten over the parting and as you say it took a bit of time I'm sure it took a lot of time and I'm sure there were many days if probably every day that you think about the child that you you gave up but you didn't have a choice I mean you with you it was in the 50s but even with Lucy who wrote to us uh, last week she was a very young teenager and her parents intervened and said this is what is happening And she was still a schoolgirl at the time. And you did, as your parents said. And in your case, you probably felt your parents, if your parents were alive at the time, wouldn't have supported you. And the Ireland of the 50s is very different to the Ireland of today. today. But you have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. And you need to stop using that word sinner because you're not a sinner. It's just... 
Just forget, you're not. You, 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 you had a baby. That's all. That's all that happened to you was you had a baby and then you couldn't raise the baby yourself. So you gave that baby to somebody else. You gave a precious, precious gift to somebody else. And there isn't a day, believe me, and I know this, having adopted a child, there isn't a day goes by that the adoptive parents of your child don't give thanks for you. And on all of those special occasions like your child's birthday and Christmas and Easter and all of those happy occasions, you are thought of uh, with great love by the family who you gave your child to. And you don't know whether... You see, we don't... We're, we're talking really when we're talking here about adopted people getting their birth certs and people have a right to know where they came from. They have a right to know who they were. And we don't always know because every adopted person doesn't want to. I have friends of mine who were adopted and who have no inclination at all to find out who their birth mother was or who their birth parents were. I've heard and I've spoken with many adopted people over the years who did go down that road and did trace their birth parents and did form relationships with birth uh, families. I also have done interviews where it didn't work out and that was soul destroying. And I've also interviewed uh, people whose births mother didn't want and only Sarah wasn't it Sarah was that lovely woman who contacted us after we read out uh, Lucy's uh, letter who went and tracked down her birth mother and her birth mother didn't want to have any contact and even though her birth mother had never gone on to have any more children so Sarah would have been her one and only so there's no there's no simple solution or ending to this it works out for some people it doesn't work out for other people but Lucy was right when she wrote the initial letter she said at the time, I'm sure I'm not the only person who is faced with this dilemma. And that's why Nell put pen uh, to paper. And I'm glad that you've written, Nell. And I hope even by writing it and putting it on paper that you had a beautiful baby. That's all that happened. You gave birth to a beautiful, beautiful child. But more than anything, you need to forgive yourself. And even though you have nothing to forgive yourself for, but that's what you need to do. You need to certainly stop using that word sinner because you certainly are not. And listen, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I thank you for taking time out uh, to write because by writing and sharing it, you might get some healing yourself. But also I think it helps others because there's many, many others uh, in the very same situation for sure. 1850 Bernie is taking your calls. You can also text or WhatsApp us to 0862 103 103. Now, a couple of other issues coming into the programme this morning. T- Tony in Lambertstown got his car insurance premium today. Shocked to see it's gone up by 83 euro. Weren't we told all our car insurance quotes were going to go down? Uh, and he also was expecting the premium to go down. What t- Tony, what I would say to you is start shopping around now because if you've got your premium now, there will probably be, what, about three weeks before your car insurance is up. So put the work in, put the effort in or go to a broker, do whatever you have to do and I guarantee you, you will get a cheaper quote, certainly cheaper than the quote you've got today and probably even cheaper than the quote that you got last year. I know I did it a couple of months ago. My quote uh, came in as well and I said, sick of this, I'm not. And actually it was the same as last year. So that's what it was. I said, no, I'm not paying the same as last year. We're told insurance premiums are to come down. I think I ended up saving about 200 euros. So it's worth putting the effort into Tony and let us know how you get on. And then Mary in West Cork was on 
looking for a little bit of advice if you have a car seat for a child in the car. Mary has a four-year-old grandchild and the the parents of the child insist on using the car seat which faces out the back of the car. She said any other child of that age she sees is put facing frontwards. She's wondering what is the safety advice. She also feels, looking at her grandchild, that she's a bit uncomfortable in the seat because the seat is facing the back of the car. Because yeah, usually the seats facing the back of the car are for the smaller children, you know, the smaller babies, and you usually have it in the front seat. And I'm assuming that the seat is in the back seat of the car. Our front seats, does anybody know the safety advice? Has anybody recently gone somewhere where you purchased and got the advice on correct car seat? And there's lots of advice out there now and lots of rules and regulations when it comes to what type of a seat a child of all ages should be sitting on in a car. So there certainly is lots of advice out there. But a four-year-old, should a four-year-old be sitting in a car seat that faces the back of the car rather than facing out. If anybody in the know can tell us, 1850 Bernie's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme, here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie. Skibbereen Country Market that reopens tomorrow. They'll be there from half past 11 until half past one. It's in Abbey Strury Church Hall in Skibbereen. And I'm told lots of great produce will be on offer, like cakes, plants, vegetables and crafts. And you're please asked to support. Uh, Kildallery Drive-In Bingo, that's on tomorrow night, eight o'clock. And that will be in the Creamery Yard. And Imelda Marshall will run a half marathon in June. And she's doing it in memory of Connor King, who was tragically killed after falling into a blowhole in Garrettstown. Imelda hopes to raise funds for the West Cork Rapid Response, who were the first to respond that day. It was such a tragic, tragic accident. You can donate to Imelda Marshall's fundraiser at idonate.ie forward slash fundraiser in aid of Connor King. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And I mentioned a little baby Jacob in who was born in Mill Street without any eyes and the big fundraisers that went on from at the time and it just having mentioned it with Paul Byrne I was like, God I haven't heard he's not a baby anymore he would be 12 going on 13 I think uh, this year and I was wondering what had happened to him. Well Donny in Mill Street was listening. He Donny works with the Air Ambulance Fundraising Division and he is in touch with the parents of baby Jacob. They moved back to Poland so that he could get schooling and health care at an affordable price and he's doing very well in school. Oh, that is terrific, Donny and Mistreet. When you're next in contact with Jacob's parents, tell him that we fondly remember uh, what a gorgeous little baby he was and what loving, loving parents and that we wish him nothing but love and luck in the future. And thank you. Thank you for that. OK, also coming in by uh, WhatsApp. Uh, Hanny says this is listening to Nell 
who told the story of giving her child up for adoption and fearful that the child, now an adult, will get access to his birth cert or she or she, I don't know, I don't know if it was a boy or a girl, and make contact with her even though she has expressly said she doesn't want uh, contact. Hanny said, I am so mad with anger. All these heart hurt mothers whose lives were hurt so badly by what? Simply becoming pregnant. What about the fathers who had their pleasure and then abandoned their responsibilities, went through life without a bother? I hope they suffer in mind, says uh, Hanny. Yeah, a lot of men walked away, but there was also cases in, uh, I have to say as well, where fathers didn't even know that somebody had become pregnant. That happened quite a lot in this country as well. I think because there was just so much secrecy attached to it. Thank you for your text, Hanny. A lot of questions coming in for Jane. Thank you for uh, that. Uh, and we'll get to those questions when Jane joins us. Um, Anthony, listening to Hannah's story, says that poor, poor woman uh, still suffering the pain of it. Yeah, and, you can, and in all of those letters that we get, you can sense the pain. People never, never really, really get over it, even though people say they get on with their lives, but they never get over with giving up a child. It's just, it's not something that's done easily. And Anthony is asking the same question where we're all at the men. Okay, on the question that came in from the grandmother who is worried about her grandchild in the car seat it's Mary in West Cork, four year old grandchild and the child's parents so Mary's son or daughter and daughter-in-law and son-in-law are insisting on using a car seat that faces the back and Mary said she's noticed when she looks into other cars that most children of that age are in seats where they're front facing and she's wondering which from a safety point of view which is the best well there's been a lot of people on in the know uh, Patricia rear facing car seats are five times safer didn't know this, than forward-facing car seats in an accident. The mother of and father of this child are obviously choosing safety first. OK, that's good to hear. Morning, Patricia, says Eileen and Clan. Rear-facing car seats can now be used up to 8 to 10-year-olds. It's totally a parental preference and it looks like if you do the science on it that it seems to be a safety uh, issue. John and Middleton saying the same thing. A young child can sit in if the front seat of a car in one of those special child safety seats but the airbag must be deactivated. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well said. Thank you uh, for that. Um, 1850 So it looks like it's a, it's a safety issue for it. Hi Patricia, I don't normally contact radio stations but people should think about who they elect as TDs to our Parliament. It is becoming a pattern for the independent TD, Matthew McGrath from Tipperary to, com- to compare COVID restrictions with Germany in the 1930s and Nazism. I don't know who he's trying to impress with such comments. It's just awful to hear. Sadly, uh, he is not the only um, okay, person not impressed uh, by the, to this text or not, not impressed by Matthew McGrath. Oh, I heard him, it was it yesterday again he did it and actually I saw Micheál Martin stand up and take him to task about it. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, we have these restrictions in place and they're for public health reasons. Not We mightn't all like having these restrictions in place, but they're there to try to keep everybody safe. But they're more importantly, they're there to try to keep vulnerable people uh, safe. And as somebody who has a one of a deep interest in the Second World War, I always have done from my school days. And it's something that I still to this day have a, have a really, really big interest in the Second World War. And in particular, how Hitler and 
the Nazi party came to, to power. I hate it as well. I hate when, when it's thrown out there like, oh, you're acting like a Nazi. You've no idea what the Nazis uh, were like when you make a flippant statement like that. Go study it. Go look at what they were like. Go look at what they are do, what they do. And I agree with that listener. It's, it's wrong on so many levels to compare what the Irish government are trying to do to try to keep people safe. And it is nothing, it is nothing like what happened in Germany in the 1930s. Thank you for your text. To the lady who contacted us who went shopping in Fromoy yesterday and has a bowel issue and couldn't find a toilet and ended up having to rush home and we all felt really sorry for her. Kitty said, would you let that lady know if she's back shopping in Fromoy again and needs to use a toilet? There's a toilet in Centra Food Store on Patrick Street in Fromoy and there's never an issue with anybody using it. It is always open, says uh, Kitty. Thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Kitty. Morning, Patricia. Hope you're keeping well. I enjoy listening to your show immensely. Thank you very much. Uh, I just want to raise an issue that's of huge concern to us all. People have campaigned oh, all over our lockdown to have churches reopened so we can go in and sit down and actually attend Mass, which I 100% agree with. Now, now that that has happened, thankfully, but... I was in Mill Street Church during the week. Lo and behold, there were two people in there talking out loud and they weren't wearing masks and there was no social distancing going on. These are people like myself of the older age bracket. I hope you can raise this on your show as it is so well listened to. Many thanks. Keep up the good work. OK, firstly, they should be talking out loud when they're inside in the church because that can be off-putting for people who are trying to pray and you like to go into a church and pray in silence. The only thing I would say in their defence, if they're in the older age bracket, I assume both of them at this stage are vaccinated and are fully vaccinated. Fully vaccinated people can be in the company of another fully vaccinated person and they don't have to wear masks. So it's very possible that it was two friends met up. They're both fully vaccinated and be they in a church or be they in each other's houses, you're allowed to do that. It's one of the bonuses of being vaccinated. And I know the advice is to still keep wearing the masks and all of that. But when they are together like that, they can actually do it. But they shouldn't... I. I absolutely accept that if you go into a mass to pray and you do meet somebody, could you wait until you get outside to have the bit of the bants? Because it can be off-putting to, uh, to, uh, to others, particularly to be talking out loud. And there's a respect issue as well, isn't there? When you go into a church, I always like, I like going into churches because I like the idea of the silence of the church as well. And it can be most off-putting to hear people rabbiting uh, on. Uh, thank, you for, uh, thank you for that. And enjoy, enjoy. I know a lot of people are so happy to have the churches uh, re- opened. And Anne, this is back on another one of the 60 plus year olds not vaccinated. 61. I'm like the other people in my age group that have been contacting you, Patricia. I'm also waiting for my vaccine. I phoned last Monday because it was three weeks to the day since I registered. I'd be delighted, by the way, to get the Johnson Johnson uh, vaccine. Well, certainly a number of people, but they appear to be in their 50s who've been contacted that are going across this weekend and into next week are getting Johnson and uh, Johnson the over 60s it seems to be AstraZeneca all the over 60s have been uh, offered but wait and see and you will find out what hap- you will find out what vaccine you're getting because it'll be on the text and hopefully those who are in there it seems to be in their early 60s keep contacting though keep keep contacting them to let them know oh I'm still here still waiting for my vaccine until you eventually get it and hopefully it will be super- sooner rather than later 1850 333 103 Jane Pickett uh, joins me on this wet and windy day Good, good afternoon to you Jane 
Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. It's the weather for ducks and ducks only, isn't it? Keep indoors oh, today. Oh, I know. I oh. know. Got long gone is the glorious sunshine. I'm yeah, afraid. let's bring it back fast. Okay, let's get straight in. A lot of questions in for you. Could you ask Jane, please? Our Jack Russell, aged 13, wakes up every night. Now, it's about 4, 4.30. You can only set an alarm clock to be left out to go to the toilet. Is there any reason for this? We always leave him out before bedtime, thanking you. Now, I'm assuming this okay. is something new that's happened. The fact he's aged 13. Mm. I think this is, if this is something new, it sounds like a change from what they've described. I think it's probably a little bit more than just habit. So sometimes, like ourselves, we can all get into certain habits um, and certain problems that cause us to kind of wake up during the night. And one of those is need to urinate. And that would signal to me, particularly in an older dog, that there might be concerns regarding, let's say, continence. So whether he is um, kind of accumulating a bit more urine than normal and feeling that need to void his bladder overnight. So he's kind of wanting to go out overnight and waking everybody up in the house. So that would make me wonder, well, how are his kidneys doing? Are his kidneys functioning well? Does he have any other problems, let's say something that might be causing a little bit more peeing frequently or drinking frequently, like a hormonal disease or even something like diabetes? Because that, that can cause us to accumulate a lot more urine than usual and might be causing the, the waking up in the middle of the night to pee. I think regardless of the underlying cause, there's a number of different possibilities. And particularly in an older pet in this circumstance, this is what I'd say, visit your vet for a senior health check. They might need to do a full physical exam, but it's quite likely they might need to do some urine analysis. So they might need you to collect a little urine sample or they may be able to do that in clinic. Um, And they may need to do some blood tests, but your vet will be the best person to judge. Now, people often ask me, how do I get a urine sample from my dog? Um, Because it is actually a really helpful thing to bring into us as vets. Um, if you do notice that your dog or cat has a change in their urination habit. So what I normally suggest with a little dog um, is take out a little container. I normally suggest kind of an old plastic takeaway container or an old lunchbox. Something that's really super clean, though you don't want any food residues in there that might be causing problems. Um, And wait until they're going out to pee. Now, the first pee of the morning is the best one to collect because usually the pee will be nice and concentrated overnight. So it gives us the best idea how everything's functioning. Wait until your dog or, or wait until your dog is kind of peeing has done like let's say a second or two of pee, so not just the very start of their flow, and just duck underneath and try and catch that little urine stream in, in that wide container. Now people often try and connect collect urine samples in tiny little pots or urine sample pots. It's a waste of time. You need to be the best at target practice ever to be able to, to catch pee off a dog into a tiny container. So, you know, you know, elevate your chances by having a very wide container. It gives you a bigger target area. And normally you might need to try once or twice to get it. Some dogs can be really, really kind of sensitive to you going around their back end when they might be peeing and get a bit startled. But I think try a few times. Um, and the morning sample is the best one to get, but it's really helpful information. And bring it in, bring it into the vet. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, uh, Joe says, uh, I appreciate a question for Joe, I, or a question for Jane. I adopted a seven-year-old boxer in February and had him for just about two months when he developed aggressive lymphatic cancer and he had to be put to sleep, sadly. I'm just wondering, was it the upset of him being surrendered, even though he came straight from his house to ours? How long does this awful disease take before you become aware of it? Okay. Well, first and foremost, condolences. It's a really tough thing, particularly when you were good enough to to go out and take on an animal from, let's say, a rehoming situation and give them a second shot at life. It's really, really heartbreaking for you. I know two months in to have that heartbreak of a pet passing away. Um, But I think it's, it's, you know, it's still a great thing to do, but I know it is tough. 
this particular cancer, I think what the our caller is discussing is is probably lymphoma. Um, so lymphoma is a cancer of, of kind of the, the lymph cells, which are, are one of the types of, of blood cells that we have. Um, that's what I assume they're discussing. Um, to be honest, it can happen very quickly. I don't think it would have been anything you did or any of the upset of changing location or anything like that that will have caused it or accelerated anything. A lot of the time, unfortunately, these quite nasty cancers, they'll develop regardless of what we do. And I think early recognition is helpful, but in some cases, and in some aggressive cancers, even early recognition is not enough because they can progress quite aggressively. Um, I, I think I wouldn't let this deter you, if, if at all possible, from rehoming another pet yeah. um, from a charity-based setting because it's a really great thing to do. And I just feel so I feel so so bad for you that your your first experience with it was so heartbreaking. But regardless, I'm sure you will have given that little dog two months of absolute happiness. Yeah, well done. Well, really well, done. well done. Um, hi, uh, Patricia. Question for Jane: We have a 14 year old Chihuahua who is a very very picky eater. He's on a dry nut diet, but Lately, he's taken a fancy to cat food pouches. It's a sort of beef or chicken with gravy menu. I'm just checking that it's okay to give him some of this in moderation because he relishes it. To him, it's like his takeaway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So as as regards, let's say, a soft food as a particular treat, is that that what our caller is? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, Yeah. that's what it sounds like. Yeah, I, I think that's okay. Small amounts of the indulgent things, like ourselves, generally don't do any great deal of harm. Uh, and I think particularly if it's a kind of a complete food, even if it's a, a soft one, then that should be okay. I think just what I would suggest as a word of warning is if you're giving it to them as a treat just occasionally, just be particularly mindful of the fact that dogs and cats are absolute creatures of habit. Their gut flora, so the bugs that live in their gut, are very much accustomed to what they eat day to day. They're not as kind of uh, resilient to change as we are. Let's say I I might have a takeaway one day and then eat something entirely different the next and and we as humans can cope with that to a degree. Whereas dogs and cats, they're creatures of habit. Their gut bugs are set up to deal with everything working on routine, very similar diet day to day. And they don't kind of crave the novelty that we do either in the same way as far as we, we can appreciate. So I think it's grand as a treat, but be particularly mindful and watch out carefully for any kind of signs of GI upset, whether that be a little bit of a runny tummy or any vomiting. If they're tolerating it well, then I think it should be okay once in a blue moon. In moderation. In moderation. My own personal preference is for a dry, a dry which is Which is what he is on. Which, yeah, which yeah. is what he is on. Okay, Mary says, uh, could you ask Jane, please, how often do I need to give my cats a treatment for worms? They're indoor, outdoor cats, but they do catch the odd mouse. So if these are hunters living the life of Riley, enjoying their freedom as well as the comforts of home, I would normally suggest every three months, okay? And that's for an adult cat. Um, I'm assuming they're adults that say over six, six to eight months of age because a lot of the time they say much younger cats and kittens um, until kind of six to eight months of age, they do need to be done far more frequently. So that's, that's a different kettle of fish. Um, for an average adult cat that's a hunter in particular, it's really important to make sure that they are effectively covered for a wide range of worms, so roundworms and particularly tapeworms if they're hunters. So it's important to get a good all-round product that you know will do the job. I would say that there are lots of products on the market. Some work, 
some don't. The best place to get your worming from and to have a product that you know will work is to have a product that's effectively licensed, so tested, and we know it works, and you can generally purchase those from vets or, or pharmacies in some cases. Um, there are plenty of other places you can buy worm and flea treatments, but what I would say is they might be cheaper, but they may not necessarily be reliably trusted to work. Okay. John and Kinsey. Joan, sorry, Joan. Five-year-old neutered uh, male Labrador. He's become very demanding for food, especially at night. He now is getting a little bit overweight. What is causing this and what can we do to stop it being very demanding for food at night? Okay. So I suppose the first thing we'd want to rule out is whether there's any underlying health concern that's increasing his appetite. Sometimes we can have hormonal changes that cause us to, to really crave food. Now, if he's otherwise healthy in himself and you haven't noticed any other problems, then it's unlikely to be that. But if you do have any concerns, visit your vet for a full health check. If it's not that, it may just be behavioural change and boredom. So if you think of the last year of all of our lives, it's really been thrown entirely out of kilter. Um, And for our pets, they have no idea what's going on because they can't understand all of the changes in the household and the changes in routine in the context of there being a pandemic. So they're kind of all out of sorts. So we are seeing a lot of, let's say, behavioural changes in our pets, um, particularly as kind of lockdown eases a little bit. And sometimes that can be kind of a change in their dietary habits, a change in shift in behaviour, almost kind of boredom and destructiveness in some cases. Um, But sometimes it can be that they're a little bit bored, so they keep asking for the snacks or they may not be getting as much attention as they might have been when everybody was at home full time. So now their way of doing that is kind of begging for snacks. To um, and, and we know, I'm, I'm up against time, we all know we're all looking for more food, so it could just be that. Listen, I've got to leave it there. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Jane. And Jane is back with us again next week. Thanks to Bernie. And uh, we're back to you tomorrow morning at 10. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.